Welcome to Voices of Experience, the podcast of the National Speakers Association. I'm Crystal Washington, and I'm honored to be serving as your host this NSA New Year. This year on VOE, we're dedicated to delivering value to professional speakers, unlike that you can get anywhere else. Get ready, we have an amazing lineup of top achieving experts who will show you how to dominate in all areas of your business. Additionally, you'll now be able to enjoy VOE weekly via the NSA website, your favorite podcast app, and via NSA's social media accounts. On today's episode of VOE, Future Focused, we'll have Peter Shankman who will share his insights on business of the future, Michelle Villalobos on how to build a seven-figure back-end to your speaking business, and we'll sit down with our new NSA president, Anna Liotta. Are you ready? I can't tell you all how excited I am about our next guest on Voices of Experience. We have the Peter Shankman. Now, if you are not familiar with Peter's work, I don't know where you have been hiding the last 10 or so years, but he is definitely one of the most prominent voices in PR and marketing, and we have him here on Voices of Experience. Peter, thank you so much for being with us today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to dive right into something, because one of the things that you say is that you have to reach your audience in the initial 2.7 seconds of their attention span. So it sounds like you're saying that they have less than three seconds. Pretty much, yeah. The the attention span of, of today's audience, you know, years ago, it was about three minutes. And um, there was a huge brouhaha in the 80s when MTV came out because the senators and, and congressmen were all up in arms because MTV was going to destroy the next generation of, of, of leaders because they were going to have only have a three-minute attention span. And, and that would, I'd give my right arm to be talking to an audience with a three-minute attention span today. Are you kidding me? That'd be the greatest thing ever. It's like we're talking to, ooh, squirrel, right? So, like, you know, we have, on average, about 2.7 to 3 seconds to reach our audience. And if that's the case, make sure that you're doing the right things. Make sure that you're um, listening and talking the way they talk. You're mimicking them. You're doing, you know, the best spies in the world can get into any building simply by acting like everyone else there, right? And so what you really want to focus on is understanding how your audience likes to get their information, mm-hmm. how they like to get it, where they like to get it, when they like to get it, and the, the format in which they like to receive it. Give it to them in exactly those ways. You know, when I was running my company, running Help a Reporter Out, I would ask my audience every Friday, how do you like to get your information? I'd ask them different questions, and I'd mold the next week's emails based on those questions, and I was sending out at the height before I sold it, 1.2 million double opt-in emails every single day with a 79% open rate on each email. That is insane yeah, and unheard it's, of. It's, it's, no, I'll never get it again. But it was, you know, and I learned, that's, that's where I learned all about the audience and all about the customer. And at the end of the day, the next 50 years are going to be run by the customer experience. And the best way to start that customer experience is simply listen and give the audience what they want the way they want it. Now, because we're talking about professional speakers here, it sounds to me like this advice can be applied in two different directions. One, being in the room itself, mm-hmm. and the other one, the content that we're putting out that supports our brand. No question about it. I mean, we're putting out every day, everything we do is content, right? From our Instagram stories to our Facebook posts to, to whatever it is. You know, you want to find the balance um, where you're not selling at your audience 24 hours a day, where you're not just talking about your personal life every day, where you're not bashing the, the current administration or whatever it is. You have to find out what your audience wants, and you have to find that middle ground where you can give that to the audience while still being authentic. Um, you know, my just thinking about my post this morning, I was at the airport to fly here from New York, and um, my parents actually were taking my daughter 
on a vacation to Mexico today. And I didn't realize that our flights were 20 minutes apart until I looked up from my laptop in the lounge and there's my daughter and oh, my wow. parents. They're like, hi, honey, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm going to work. Why are you here? You know, And so that became a photo of the four of us, became my lead Facebook photo this morning. Everyone, oh, that's so cute. That's wonderful. I followed up with some work stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Followed up some business stuff. Welcome. Hi, Orlando, I'm back. You find that middle ground that your audience likes. And, and it's about being authentic because this is all stuff I'd post and share anyway. Um, I give probably 99.6% of my content away for free. Okay. Because that 0.4% sells for a lot of money. Okay. And it's it's the 99.6% that I've given away for free that builds that level of trust with my audience. That when I do say, hey, by the way, I have a thing, or I'm speaking at this thing, or I'm doing this, or you can, they, they sell it out. Well, it sounds to me like then, based on what you're saying, is if you're listening to your audience, that's what's kind of directing you to, to know what kind of content they want. Oh my want. God, 100%. Then you're creating the content. A small amount of those people are the people that are going to financially support you, but that small amount is more than enough no if, if you anchor this correctly. And, and that's the whole thing is, you know, everyone jumps online and they think that it's all about, it's, it's all about, let me put it another way. The easiest way to simply not suck is to not make it all about you. You know, here's the thing. I don't need... Anyone, I, I talk about this from a customer perspective, but it's, it's true for speakers, especially true for speakers. I don't need you to be awesome. Mm. Everyone tries to be awesome and wild. That awesome's hard, right? I don't. I've had Tony Robbins on my ADHD <laughs> podcast, right? He's all about, yeah, we're gonna walk on fire. Screw that noise. Walking on fire is hard. I don't need you to walk on fire. You know what I need you to do? I need you to suck a little less. Okay. And here's why: if you suck one percent, I just need to be one percent better. Than everyone else. Okay. Because what do we expect in any customer interaction today? We expect crap. Here's my next question for you, because one of the other things that you talk about is businesses of the future have to hire neuroatypical yep. employees. What is a neuroatypical employee? So when I was, um, about 10 years ago, I was diagnosed with ADHD, Attention okay. Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. It is one of the many uh, sort of social and um, psychological traits that currently exist uh, in our world today. ADHD, ADD, autism, spectrum, anything along those lines, Asperger's, anything like that. We have been looking at the majority of those as a... Uh, as a curse. And after I sold my company, I tried to figure out how come it was incredibly easy for me to start and sell it. I went, Harrow was a three-year project. I started it on an airplane. Three years later, it was acquired for millions. Wow. Right? L- literally. And I, I worked in my apartment with two overweight cats on either side of me. That was, that was Harrow. <laughs> okay. And I tried to figure out why I could start and sell this company in under three years, but when my girlfriend would leave the kitchen garbage bag at the front door so I would take it out, I would look at it get distracted by something else, go to bed, and it would sit there for four days. And it occurred, I finally realized, okay, I got diagnosed with ADHD, and then I realized maybe my faster brain, my ADHD brain, is just designed to do certain things better mm. and certain things not. So I did a lot of research on this and wound up launching a podcast called Faster Than Normal. Okay. And the podcast is currently the number one podcast on iTunes that focuses on ADHD uh, and, and sort of spectrum um, uh, neuroatypical lives. We've okay. had Tony Robbins, Seth Godin, Keith Crouch from DocuSign, Dave Needleman who founded JetBlue. We just had Danny Meyer from Shake Shack. All of whom have ADHD and all of whom believe that they've used that to their advantage. Wow. Here's why neurotyp- neuroatypicals are interesting. There's a study out, so I wrote a book called Faster Than Normal, and, okay. and Random House published it, and came out last year, and the basic premise is ADHD, anything along those lines, is a gift, not a curse, if you know how to use it. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a study that said in the next 10 years, 35% of the workforce and 35% of customers are going to be neuroatypical in some capacity or another. Okay. If you're not learning how to market to them and how to hire and keep them, you're going to be left behind. That makes sense. Right? So if you're talking about, you're going to give a potential new employee the same 75 or 100 question test that you're giving a non-neuroatypical or a neurotypical person, mm-hmm. that person's not even going to finish the test, he's going to leave. 
right? He's not going to. I don't want this job. I can sit here and do this. You know, right. my I had one job in my life. I worked for America Online for two years. Um, when I left AOL and moved back to New York, I went out on my own because my next job, which I lasted a week at. I had to have, you know, at AOL, you're like, they're like, come in, leave whenever you want, just get your work done. Okay. I'm like, this must be work. Wow, this is awesome. Then I go to my second job. Wait, that, was, like, that was your first, my first job? job? America Online, they're oh, like, do whatever no, you I launched the newsroom at AOL. You. They totally did. Where, like, where could you work after my that? My next job, I go to work at a, at a high profile magazine in New York City, and my first day, and they're like, okay, here's your time card. You're going to punch at 8 30. We have a meeting at 9, a tour meeting at 10. You have 40 minutes to lunch. Da, da, da. I'm what, surprised what you that? lasted a week. I, it was a very hard week. <laughs> and. But then I went on my own, and that's when I realized that I don't play well with others in that regard. Okay. And I, it's been 20 years this past October since I've been out on my own. My last customer book, Zombie Loyalist, the one before Fast and Normal, I had six months to write it. Mm-hmm. And I signed the contract, I did all the research the first week, and then I got distracted by something else. With two weeks left, my editor called, she's like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, oh, no problem, it's all I hadn't written one word. And I hung up the phone, I, call, I picked up the phone again, called United Airlines, booked a round-trip flight to Tokyo, leaving the next morning. I took my laptop, a power cord, mm-hmm. uh, my headphones. I got on the plane at like 10 a.m. I wrote chapters one through five on the flight from Newark to Tokyo. Okay. Landed in Tokyo 14 hours later, went to the lounge, took a shower, had an espresso, got back on the same plane, same seat, two hours later, flew from Tokyo to New York uh, the next 14 hours and wrote chapters six through 10. I landed with a wow. book. And then got held up for five hours um, by uh, Department of Homeland Security, who were sure I was like running some sort of drug. Well, because that that looks a little strange. They had actually called my publisher you, you, you and they have to vouched admit that. I had a book. But but <laughs> and it was like, oh my god, you spent five thousand dollars to 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 go nowhere. I'm like, nope, I spent five thousand dollars to write a book. You did because that was how that's how I work. And you and you almost paid five thousand dollars to have an adventure you didn't plan on exactly. having either. But I, but I see you. But that's you know understand how you work and it might be different and and the people you're hiring and the people you're selling to might not think the way you think. You got to understand that or you're gonna miss out on a huge chunk of the economy. Okay. Well, Peter, I really appreciate all your advice today. The two things that stuck out the most for me is one, hiring those neurotypical employees, and the other one, which I think was kind of the um, umbrella term over everything you just said, was suck a little less. I mean, it's, it's not that hard. And and, and so here's and here's my way of doing that, right? Okay. Everyone talks about this stuff. Mm-hmm. No one actually, as far as I can see, not a lot of people act on it. Mm-hmm. Peter at Shankman.com is okay. my personal email. Okay. I've had that email going on 20 years now. Okay. It was the email I sent all the harrows with. It's, it's still my email. If you email me, mm-hmm. I reply personally. Okay. To everyone in the world. I, I, don't, I don't farm that out. I farm out my calendar because okay. my assistant took right access away from my calendar for me. Because Uh-oh. I tend to, yeah, I, I schedule two dinners on the same night on separate continents. But, but oh. other than that, I answer every single email because okay. you have to walk that walk. Mm-hmm. Right? If I'm talking about customer service and customer experience and being real and authentic, I answer my own emails. Email me. I love and it. And we'll talk. I love it. Peter, thank you so much for your time today. We definitely appreciate you for your time on Voices of Experience. It's time to switch gears. Peter was kind enough to educate us about business of the future and how not to miss out on large chunks of the economy. Our next guest will demonstrate how we can future-proof our own businesses by building a big back end. Michelle Villalobos, CSP, is a member of the Million Dollar Speakers Group in NSA, meaning she has a seven-figure business. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Now, of all the people we could speak to about this, I'm really excited that you're here to talk to us about how to build a back-end to your speaking business, because I feel like that's something a lot of us are lacking. So my first question for you is, what advice would you have for speakers who keynote or offer breakouts or train, but don't have any back-end product? Are they leaving money on the table? They're definitely leaving a lot of money on the table, but perhaps even more important than that is that they're 
most likely also sacrificing their lifestyle in the process and their health mm -hmm. and their well-being. See, when you sell your time for money, when you're singing for your supper and booking gigs and generating your revenues from the gigs on the front end, you've got to constantly be on a plane, living in a hotel. You've got to be on the road to make money. So for me, the transition from that type of model to a big back-end model mm -hmm. was one that was born out of frustration, overwhelm, um, and exhaustion, frankly, and my health mm -hmm. suffering. It was it was not a choice, really, okay. born of uh, inspiration, but more of desperation when I first made it. Yeah. Wow. Well, so you it sounds like you were really busy as a road warrior speaker. You got it. And the back end was the result of you trying to find more balance, yeah. it sounds like? Well, yeah, and, it, and it, it, it wasn't even me trying to find more balance. It was me having a massive breakdown in 2014 mm -hmm. where my health fell apart, my personal life fell apart. And as a result of those two things, my business also fell apart because I was no longer putting the hustle in that my, mm -hmm. for, that my business needed. For just two months, I took my eye off the ball and everything fell apart. In two months? In two months. Wow. Because it happened that fast that I wasn't selling, I wasn't hustling, so I wasn't getting the gigs, and then the, the money dropped. And so what I did was I reorganized my business around this concept of having a big back end, mm -hmm. which has these two really important elements, really three, but two foundational elements. One is that it has monthly recurring revenue. Okay. And the second that it's, it's leveraged, it leveraged my, leveraged my time. So it was a group model instead of one-on-one -on -one or one-off model. Okay. So it was long-term and it was group. And those were the two key elements that made it, my business grew, it quadrupled in, in 12, sorry, 14 months, my business quadrupled. Quadrupled. Mm -hmm. And I love what you said about the group model because if you're doing one-on-one, -on -one, it sounds like you're still trading your time for money. But once yeah. you start having more people in the circle at a time. You got it. Well, and the beauty of that, too, is when you have people in the circle, so to speak, they can end up helping you deliver the program. As they move into their second and third and fourth, and now we have a client in her fifth year, mm -hmm. she's now supporting us in our in our retreats. In our, that, that's what we do. Okay. But the point is when you get clients that are getting results and that are bought into the culture that you're creating on the back, back end, mm -hmm. then they can help you in serving your culture and growing. It almost sounds like... You know, you hear people saying if you have enough children, the older ones start taking yes. care of the younger ones. It almost yes. sounds like a similar model, but in business. It's exactly what we've done. And, to, you know, one kind of interesting thing about it that I didn't expect or figure out or and just recently realizing is that I was trying to find a model that let me be more of a woman, mm -hmm. that let me be me, you know, okay. and not have to try to do it this way, this traditional standard way. Right. And what I discovered is that it's kind of a community based model now. You know, I don't have to I don't have to bring all the magic. Mm -hmm. The magic is born out of the co creation with my own clients. I love that, the co-creation. So speaking of the creation piece, for those who are listening, because right now there are people saying, oh my gosh, I need that. I'm tired of being on the road 100, 200 days of the year. What are the first three steps to building a profitable back end? What are the three things that they need to walk away and do right now to get started? Well, they need to connect 
what they're doing right now with with a back end that makes sense. So in other words, you know, right now if they're speaking it, the ideal scenario is if they're already in speaking in front of audiences that might want more. Okay. So if that audience is an audience that wants more, then what you want to do is create that first initial what I call a foundational program that you can put those people into or invite or enroll those people into. Okay. We use a retreat. I love the retreat model, but it doesn't have to be a retreat. My other favorite version is a six-week online or virtual program. So those are my two favorite step one foundational. So you need some sort of foundational program that people can come into. And I like a price point of somewhere in the neighborhood of about 1000 to 3000 mm-hmm. as that first level. Okay. That's the first thing you need. The second thing is what's going to come next after that foundational program. Mm. And whatever comes next, and this is where I sometimes run into resistance, it should be, ideally is, a 12-month-long monthly recurring revenue commitment. Commitment. Meaning people make a year commitment. Mm-hmm. It's not a month-to-month commitment. Okay. And the key, the reason for that is that's what creates the stability and the foundation and not just for you, mm-hmm. but for the client, because the client is then more committed. And we've seen that when clients invest and when they're committed, they get the better results. And mm-hmm. so it, it really works for both sides. And so that creates the stable foundation, which that's the third piece. For once you've got that stable foundation, you've got the foundational program, mm-hmm. you've got the monthly recurring back end, the next thing is to take some of that revenue that's more stable, more profitable, because it's leverage, right? and, and, and invest that into support. Okay. And getting people to support you get probably if you're a speaker and you're a star kind of profile, the level of support you'll need is some, some like a project manager type person to okay. help with the, the the delivery piece and really delivering value to the clients on that long term program. So it sounds like you're you're almost employing. If you have a project manager, obviously they're helping you along, but it sounds like in some models you might even have like mini use. Yeah, and that's actually the first person that I hired. Well, I did hire a support person, but really where I needed the support quicker was in actually managing and supporting the back-end program and delivering value there. So I hired a coach okay. actually to support me in, in providing, and in our case, we provide you know real-time, as-needed, on-demand coaching for our, for our clients. You don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Not everybody needs to do that. Our program happens to be very robust, but we have clients that are doing very simple big back-end programs that are just more retreats and maybe a weekly call or something like that. Okay, so there's different levels to Mm -hmm. this. Now, what services or technology would you recommend for hosting one's back-end content? Do you want to discover the technology tools Michelle suggests so you can get started on creating your back-end? Listen to the second part of this interview with Michelle next week, and NSA members will even be able to access Michelle's pricing tool on next week's episode. Oh, I know, you gotta wait. But next up, we'll hear from our new president, Anna Liotta, as she shares a little about her experience and the direction of the National Speakers Association. Today on Voices of Experience, we have President Anna Liotta, CEO of The Generational Institute and author of Unlocking Generational Codes. Anna, when you brought all of your chairs together, you mentioned to us that you wanted to make sure that everything that we did for NSA during your time of service delivered ridiculous value to our members. What did you mean by that? 
Well, thank you, Crystal. You are so right. And that was so exciting how each chair this year picked up the charge of providing ridiculous value in our educational events, in our products like Voices of Experience and Speaker Magazine, in every aspect of how we serve our members. I want our members to be able to say, that was a ridiculous amount of value. What I get here at NSA I can't get anywhere else. And that's really at the heart of what we do this year is providing ridiculous value to our members. Some of the people that are listening right now, some of our NSA members may not be as familiar with you and and some of our non-members may not have heard of you. Do you mind sharing what your portfolio of business looks like so they understand what kind of speaker you've been? Absolutely. So this is my 23rd year as a keynote speaker uh, professionally. I've been a member of NSA for 15 years now. So I actually was in the speaking business for a while. And my portfolio has changed over the years. When I was elected as the vice president of NSA, my portfolio looked like this. It was 75% keynotes, 20% consulting, and about 5% book sales and on-demand learning. Now, I've spent the last two years recalibrating my portfolio to really be able to serve NSA during this year, and it looks more like 50% keynotes, 25% on-demand, the Generational Institute on-demand learning, and 20% just consulting, and about 5% in product sales outside of that. So one of the things that I think is really important about membership in NSA and value in NSA is that we learn how to adjust our businesses, how to be able to scale our businesses, which is actually one of the things I'm really excited about is our first program up this year is for the CSP CPAE Summit in December 6th through the 8th in San Antonio. No in San Diego. And it's going to be about scale. It's going to be about scale up your business if you want to grow, scale out your business, reorganizing your product mix and how you do your delivery, and then scale down your business. What's next? If you're ready to go on to an entrepreneurial encore or you're ready to scale down, how do you do that? So not only has NSA helped me do that, but this year we're going to be looking in our very first event, CSP CPAE Summit, about how do you scale. I know we've been in a time of transition over the last one and a half years with our brilliant CEO, Mary Lou Peck, joining us. And we've been making little tweaks across the organization for greater organizational sustainability. Can you share your vision for NSA over the next year and even well into the future? Yes, this last year has been all about transform. We have a strategic plan and the very first element of it was about transform, really looking at all of our practices internally as an organization to create that sustainability that you speak about. This next year is all about elevate. What are we going to do to elevate the caliber, that ridiculous value Mm -hmm. of every single product? And that means that we also need to look at our product mix. What is it that we provide to our members along with our events, our virtual community? How do we make sure that the reputation of each member is elevated by our certifications, by our designations, and by the ways that we honor our Hall of Fame? How do we look at that? So we really are looking at making sure that our association is not only honoring 
honoring the legacy of those that came before us and what they built, but is pivoting to what we need to be here sustainably for the next five, 10 years and beyond. For speakers who are not yet members of NSA, what message would you have for them? What I would say is welcome home. This is where people will get you. They'll get your goals. They'll get your aspirations. They'll keep what keeps you up at night, Mm -hmm. the pain points that you face, and the celebrations that you want to honor. It's not just about the bottom line of business. Thank you for joining us this week on Voices of Experience. I'll see you next week for part two of our interview with Michelle Villalobos. We'll also learn power tips for leveraging a CRM or customer relationship management system for your business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.